On behalf of Nutanix and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast focused around Nutanix HCI for state, local, and education organizations, where Luis Gomez, Senior Systems Engineer at Nutanix, will discuss the benefits of hyperconverged infrastructure. Here at Nutanix, I'm here to present uh, hyperconverged architecture and a little bit about how our solution works in the hyperconverged realm. So I'm going to give you a 101 level kind of explanation of what this is, what it's not, and, and a few features that are just kind of almost like self-explanatory in the sense that, you know, those features are are the reason why hyperconverged is, uh, is so popular nowadays. Uh, to begin with, cloud has really... Um, wet our appetite so we all want want the public cloud-like simplicity and we've heard of, of features we've seen features uh in the cloud and and you know in some sense uh our own data centers are losing out to the cloud the old architecture that i'll highlight in just a bit is really losing out and there's reasons why cloud-like simplicity leads to rapid time to market so you're able to stand up VMs and applications quickly in the cloud, right? You're able to pay as you go and fractionally consume the services. So you don't have to build out an entire rack, something physical to actually establish a foothold in the cloud. So that's really nice. Everybody loves that. Uh, so it's a lower barrier of entry. And so moving on here to the one click simplicity meaning that in one click is kind of a metaphor for the simple management of the infrastructure. And, and actually in the cloud, there is no management of the infrastructure really. So um, what does that look like? Well, it's all software driven, you know? So there's, there's less headache on the, uh, on, on the infrastructure side. Really the headache is the hyperscalers, the cloud manufacturers. Uh, but can you have that locally? You know, that's, that's the big question. Can you have a cloud-like experience on-prem? and get uh, continuous innovation, which is one of the tenets really of kind of the, the software defined realm. Steve Wozniak, the uh, co-founder of Apple always said, he, he said being an engineer is, is having the ability to invent or innovate yourself out of any problem. And that's a beautiful concept because uh, you know, there's, there's certainly in IT, there's a lot of challenges. So this is the hardware-defined data center. This is uh, circa 2005. As you can tell, I mean, obviously, this is a very old architecture uh, or old systems, but the architecture is still here today, conceptually speaking, the framework, uh, storage area networks, fiber channel switches, or, or, or you know, you got your tape backup library here. Uh, you can pretty much look and point to any one of these devices and define what it does because it's hardware defined. I mean, it's literally the hardware is provisioned for that specific task. And that's what your traditional data center looks like. Uh, and there's probably, you know, right around the corner, there's a big refrigerator uh, sized box with a bunch of uh, drives in it and so on. And this is, uh, this is your three tier, you know, hardware defined data center. And, uh, in the evolution of the data center, we, there were some, some challenges here, right? So there was, uh, it, it was hard to troubleshoot, hard to integrate, interoperability issues, expensive. Uh, it was really hot, so you can you can see the, the floor panels right there. They have a bunch of little holes in it. Uh, you can 
probably bake bread on the reverse side of this rack uh, with such high heat. Moving along, you know, there, there's this concept of converged data center. So not to be confused with hyperconverged. So the converged data center uh, looks a lot cooler, really. I mean, if you look at the, you know, it's a lot neater. It's a tighter integration with the components that make up the fundamental building blocks of a data center, compute, storage, and networking. Those discrete components are actually still here in the converged data center. So there was companies like VCE, there's companies out there that, that create, you know, Dell has FX2 chassis and, you know, they, they actually, and, and uh, um, you know, all the main, major manufacturers came out with their converged uh, data center offerings, but they really fundamentally still had these three components separated. In other words, you can, you can point to the compute, the server, the networking and the storage. They're all still separate, but integrated in kind of a fancy shell, okay? You know, you still had multiple management consoles, multiple complexities and interoperability issues with this architecture. So let's take a look at what the hyperscalers were doing back in the day. Uh, this is 2010, 2012, uh, even earlier than that, Amazon. So what the hyperscalers did, as, and this is a data center. This picture here, I'm pretty sure it's Google's data center, but uh, it's one of the hyperscalers. And what they did uh, is they, they actually tried out SAN technology back then because that was the best thing going. They tried uh, storage area networks. They tried to put their data and workloads on it and it just didn't work. It didn't scale. And really, I mean, if you take a look at the architecture, what is a bottleneck in a three-tiered legacy architecture? Your storage. Your storage tends to be a bottleneck. It's not scalable. So... And, and we're talking, you know, hyper scalable here. So here we see a software defined data center where you can point to any one of the boxes and really um, these are pizza boxes and you don't know what they're doing. You don't know because the software is actually defining their capabilities. So <clears throat> that's that's what Amazon did, the big hyperscalers. And, and you know, there's a reason. And back in 2015, Amazon they separated out their profits or not their profits, but they separated out their numbers in terms of like the top line revenue that they were generating with AWS versus the rest of the mothership of Amazon. And they were making about $7 billion in 2015 and three and a half, three years later, uh, Amazon AWS made $28 billion dollars which is more than mcdonald's corporation and there's a reason why this is happening right this this hyperscaling technology the, this way of, of doing your uh workloads actually works it works it scales and it's, it's foolproof in the sense that you don't have a single point of failure you're software defining so you're you're innovating as you go and what this uses and one of the tenets of hype of, of what they call web scale architecture is using commodity hardware, commodity servers, commodity networking, ethernet networking, commodity Linux to put together a solution where the real innovation and, and creativity happens at the software level. So continuing on here, we took, and one of the founders of Nutanix actually worked at Google and helped create that Google distributed file system so that uh, you know that hyperscaling architecture could occur. And what we did, what Nutanix did, and, and there seems to be a lot of followers here, uh, we have 
uh, hyper-converged infrastructure that we integrated or we introduced into the corporate realm. So what we do is we introduce a single compute brick that really has networking, security, storage, and compute built into the server, software-defined. The differentiator between us and, and the web scale is that we added virtualization. So virtualization, obviously, you know, that, that took off uh, with VMware. And virtualization, the addition of that allows for us to, to have everything on one system and maintain those VMs on those compute bricks. And doing away on the left-hand side, you have the, uh, the three-tiered architecture with its various components, the fiber channel switching. You have a lot of um, application-specific integration chips, ASIC chips on the left-hand side. And we don't have that here on the right. With Nutanix, we have commodity servers, again, commodity networking, and the software on top of it, right? And that's how we, we operate. So we're gonna take a look a little bit under the, under the uh, hood. And so this is the way it works. So we take a single node, right? So you have your VMs there, your hypervisor, and we're gonna add a controller. What we've done is we, uh, we've actually virtualized the controller itself. The controller that traditionally is a physical device that resides on a physical controller for the storage, we virtualize that controller. And what they do is they, they kind of conspire with each other. They look at the local drives of the machine of each server. So if you look at the these this diagram, you have node one, node two, node three. Node is kind of synonymous, interchangeable with server. So you, you take a look at that and the CVMs themselves are going to talk to each other and they're going to create a single storage pool out of the local drives that are on those servers. So this is a break from the, the traditional three-tiered architecture where you weren't even using the local drives. The local drives off those machines under a SAN kind of storage area network architecture, really there was a bunch of empty bays. In fact, uh, you would boot off the, the storage area network if you could. Uh, in this case, it's totally a reversal. So it's, it's a kind of a non-intuitive way of operating. And uh, initially there was a lot of skepticism about this, but if it weren't for the hyperscalers kind of paving the way, this architecture itself, you know, it's, it's just proven out to be scalable. And, and I'll talk a little bit about the scalability in, in a minute, but if we, if we take a look at these CVMs, you know, what they're doing is that they're actually coalesce, they're, they're creating a storage pool that they turn around and present to the hypervisor, whether it's a hypervisor that's uh, ESXi or our own hypervisor, AHV or Hyper-V, they turn around and present a single shared storage pool to those hypervisors. So the hypervisor itself doesn't really know anything about the storage other than it's centralized and shared, right? And that's kind of the prerequisite for a hypervisor, right? So what you get out of it is you get this, this distributed storage system that's using the local drives, but no physical SAN, you're still able to do your HA, your high availability. And really that's, that's one of the primary goals here is to provide that HA ability to, um, to your VM so that if you do have a failure, and in, in the event of a failure, and, and of course, you know, everybody gets their silicon from the same place and the stuff's gonna break, right? So 
it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so when this application or this, uh, this node goes down, your VMs will automatically get booted up elsewhere. And that's obviously just HA. In your HA configuration, the hypervisor doesn't know the difference that it's just basically a storage pool that's sourced in local drives. Other additional benefits, again, this is software-defined shared storage. Okay, this is uh, um, part of what the hyperconverged story is about. And you get snapshots, locality, uh, discuss that in a little bit, clones, tiering, compression, DR, DR and replication to a DR site is standard in our product. And it should be standard really in any hyperconverged product. And you get exceptional performance and there's a good reason for that as well uh, that we'll get into. So, you know, the workloads that, that you wanna have on this are tier one workloads, tier two workloads. Uh, this is powerful enough to actually care, you know, SAP, Splunk, big data, SQL databases, exchange servers. Uh, we start off in VDI and VDI was, uh, was one of those candidates, primary candidates for hyperconverged because the storage area network was the single most expensive product or component in a VDI project. So when this solution was introduced, a lot of our customers were VDI customers, but we've expanded to uh, multiple workloads, including tier one mission critical, big data, high throughput uh, workloads. So achieving this without a SAN is, uh, was an achievement. And there's other architectural considerations here, benefits through using just hyperconverged in general, but we have a little bit of a twist um, we have the scale-out architecture. So scale-out means that you add, in our architecture, you can do two types of, of scaling. You can do vertical scaling or horizontal scaling. Our architecture really is enhanced for, for horizontal scaling. In other words, you pop in that so-called pizza box and you add another node, and then you pop in another one for scaling, right? So scale-out architecture, the addition of nodes and the addition of uh, compute capacity is simplified in this environment. We fine-grained the metadata. So we actually break up the data in four megabyte chunks and we spread it out throughout the entire cluster. There's um, high resiliency to, uh, to hardware failure uh, when you do this, and I'll, I'll present that in just a minute. Data locality. So we make sure and this is key to the performance, we make sure that the VMs that are running on node one have their data on node one. Even though we replicate that data somewhere else in case of failure, we make sure that that data is there in node one. So we're talking about an IO path that does not include the network when it comes to reads, does include the network when it comes to writes because we do replicate that data, but we get much faster performance and if you think about a, a high-end SQL server, uh, most of those interactions with the I.O. path are, are read interactions. Uh, so you get exceptional performance with that. And of course, we support NVMe and Optane drives, uh, SSDs, and even hard disk drives. We do not use RAID cards. We actually, our own software controls the parity that controls the number of replicas that we have. So we don't actually use RAID. You'll find that our system, uh, our CVMs have direct control over, have a direct path to, uh, to the storage IO. 
So real quickly, this is a, this is what Nutanix uh, AOS is what we call it, uh, Acropolis Operating System. I I believe it stands for, and that's the that's the storage. That's that's our operating system basically that runs the hyperconverged system. And we give our customers choice. Any hyperconverged that really should be it should allow the 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 customer to choose their own hardware, right? So we're commodity hardware. So we we use the NX brand that you see there, that's that's actually Supermicro, uh, but Dell, any major manufacturer, you use their hardware, use uh, the virtualization of choice, and then we manage everything with Prism. So Prism is, is the single management console that we provide our customers to manage all of this. And so our system is simple, secure, resilient, and flexible. It has to be simple, right? So if, if we give you a bunch of software-defined uh, capabilities, but it's really hard to manage. It kind of defeats the purpose, right? Because complexity is the enemy of a lot of things. It's the enemy of security. Uh, complexity is the enemy of scalability and stability. Uh, complexity leads to customers uh, misconfiguring things and so on. So in the, in the realm of simplicity, uh, when it comes to deploying any hyper-converged infrastructure, and in, in particular ours, we have a process that's kind of a single install that is capable of installing your operating system, your AOS software and the hypervisor remotely for on-prem deployments or through uh, a robo remote office site. So your deployment is in hours. And this is so interesting to me because I, I'm kind of, I come from the old school three tier where, you know, if you're deploying a fiber channel based storage area network, you know, you're, you're gonna be there several days. And the deployment of this, uh, of a hyper-converged system like Nutanix literally takes a couple of hours. Uh, it could be done in less than an hour, depending on how large your, your cluster is. You can go out to lunch, take a long lunch and come back. And, uh, and there you have it. You have a cluster that's ready for your on-prem tier one workloads. It is much simpler to deploy because you don't have to worry about the integration of all those disparate pieces. So the scaling of this, uh, infrastructure, and this is a primary tenant of HCI, is that it must scale linearly, which means that if you add another node, you're adding that much more capacity. In the case of, uh, I give an example of VDI, let's say you, you support one single compute node or one single server uh, supports 100 users. And so there's three, use, there's three nodes here in this one cluster, adding a fourth one would, would support another 100 users, right? So you now get the total computing capacity uh, of 400 users. That's scaling linearly, obviously. And so what we do is we make it easy for, for customers to be able to add that those nodes easily. And when you add them, it adds to the little, uh, the little meter here that you see on the right, the compute capacity in IOPS. In other words, it's almost like, I, I liken this to adding a cylinder to your engine so if you had a software-defined car engine, you could add horsepower by adding, being able to, to add just another cylinder, right? Uh, another piston, if you will. So you go from a, a v, a, an L4 to a v, V8, uh, and, and that's possible in this system here because you can just add nodes. And you have the ability to add nodes that are different, that are maybe appropriate to what your needs are. So you, in this particular example, uh, you can add nodes that are different models 
not different um, brands. So you 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 stay within you know Dell or you stay within HP, uh, but you you can add different models within those lines. And in this case, it's a storage heavy note. So storage heavy, and that's uh, uh, you know it could have three times the storage of the of the rest of the cluster, and uh, it'll automatically rebalance the data to those nodes. So you just have to add it. And minutes after adding it, you'll have access to the storage that's on that system by way of you know the system just automatically including the local drives into the total capacity, into the storage pool. So that's the scaling part of it. And this is uh, something that hyper-converged infrastructure should have all the time. And then we, we add, uh, finally, you know, storage-only node, an all-flash node, uh, lots of uh, options here. Typically, in a, in, in a typical scenario, you'll have just homogenous clusters with some you know, outliers like storage-heavy nodes, perhaps. Our clusters can scale. There's theoretically no limit to the number of nodes you can have in a cluster, but typically, you, you know, you'll have clusters that are, you know, anywhere from minimum three to 20, 30 nodes in a single cluster. And again, the more nodes you add, the more power you're adding to the system. So we do have other capacity optimization techniques like um, deduplication, compression, and encoding. Erasure coding, which is our own parity-based capacity optimization, so it reduces the footprint of our data. So we want to get some space back. And because of time, I'm just going to go ahead and skip over some sections here. What this slide presents is just basically our, our management plane. So our management plane is a sharp contrast. It's a single management plane that you use to manage your hardware, you manage your firmware, you manage your hypervisor, the updates of your hypervisor, you deploy your VMs from here, you manage your networking from here. So that's the efficiencies, the operational efficiencies that you get with hyperconverged is that you can build one single console to troubleshoot, to update, to maintain your operations of your data center. So we're providing an operating system for the data center with Prism. Security, uh, we do support encryption of drives, encryption of the drives through software-based encryption. We actually include a built-in software encryption key manager, uh, or you can use your own third party. We support FIPS 140-2. From a ransomware perspective, our operating system creates snapshots at recovery points in time so that if you, you are hit with ransomware, you can simply go back to a recovery point that does not include that ransomware we do have anomaly detection and micro-segmentation as a feature built into AOS so that you get firewalling between one VM and another that will stop or prevent the spreading of the malware. And then the recovery points are, are something you can use to recover from malware. So lastly, I'll just discuss this resiliency. So uh, one of the things that is, it's a frequent uh, objection is like, well, without a SAN, that means, you know, you don't really have a, a single storage fabric that manages you, you know, all your data. What happens if a, if a server goes down? Do I lose my data? I mean, you know, servers have their own drives, obviously. What we do is we actually replicate the data, and that's what this, this little um, diagram shows, is a replication of blocks, storage blocks, A, B, and C. As you can tell, they're spread out throughout the, the, uh, 
throughout the cluster. So if you do have a system that goes down, in this case, it's a VM that consists of blocks A, B, and C, what will happen is HA will kick in, boot up the machine on the next node, and there's still the data, A, B, and C is spread out throughout the entire uh, cluster. And what will happen is the machine will start up automatically and its source data, it will get some of it from the local drives, others it will get from the actual network. So at this point, your performance is like if you were using a SAN, okay? So that's the worst case scenario. All the controller VMs are actually gonna contribute to rebuilding or uh, rehydrating the, the replica data so that you do have healing, self-healing occurs you have a VM that's now has its data locally again, and its replica data is found throughout the cluster. If you have another failure, okay, so this is uh, this has happened from time to time. You have a secondary failure the next day. You still, because you self-healed, you can still boot up that machine elsewhere, and that data will be there for the machine to take advantage of. And then self-healing occurs again, and so you have a replica. And so, as you can imagine, you know, if you lose two nodes, uh, you would think, wow, there's a huge possibility that we're going to lose data, but not with self-healing, very resilient. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and stop uh, because we're out of time, but this, is, uh, this concludes the hyper-converged infrastructure presentation. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information on how Kerasoft or Nutanix can assist your state local, or education organization, please visit www.carasoft.com or email us at Nutanix at Thanks again for listening and have a great day.